This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Parting, a story of West Point on the eve of the Civil War. And the author is Richard Adams. And Rich joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Rich. Hello, Steve. It's uh, good to be with you. Well, it's great to talk to you about a extremely uh, credible historical view of, I guess, really the the months leading up to the uh, Civil War, right? That's right. That's right. It uh, uh, takes place over a period of eleven months, uh, uh, from August eighteen sixty to, uh, and actually uh, uh, through the first Battle of Bull Run, and you? that would have been uh, July eighteen sixty one. You write this, The Parting is a unique story, authentic in setting, West Point, and time, like you mentioned, the 11 months leading up to the first major battle of the Civil War, and personalizes many individuals who only later become famous and, and synonymous with the Civil War. Additionally, the story will surprise the reader with a host of little-known yet relevant facts. So... You're going to take us right into the mind, the emotions of uh, several characters, some of them uh, like George Custer, real, and give us what was the nation feeling. As a West Pointer, I just um, uh, I really wanted to leave a legacy, a legacy for West Point, a legacy for West Pointers, and to uh, uh, provide uh, uh, a look at a piece of West Point history that uh, has never been told. And it's an incredible piece of history. Uh, uh, when West Pointers were uh, essentially ripped apart to uh, uh, serve on uh, one side or the other of uh, each of uh, so many battlefields. And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, when the dust settled, uh, somehow, incredibly, came back together in reconciliation. But it, it, uh, it's it's basically a story uh, about West Point to honor West Point. And the principal character, the protagonist, John Pelham, is it Pelham? It is Pelham. Uh, John Pelham, uh, a cadet from Alabama, and uh, the most uh, popular man in his class, uh, but also. Uh, oddly enough, uh, the one with the most demerits. He uh, uh, was an incredible leader, recognized so within his class, but he just uh, uh, was not all that inclined to follow the rules. And cadets at West Point, even in, in that time frame, were uh, not unlike uh, uh, college kids uh, uh, that, uh, you know, seek uh, amusement and activity that's not necessarily... Uh, uh, according to to the rules of of, of the schools that are attending. Well, we'll talk more about John Pelham. Uh, also, there is is a 
lady involved? There's always has to be a lady involved, right? That would be uh, Claire Bolton, and uh, uh, she is from Philadelphia. She's incredibly uh, uh, gifted. She's beautiful, and she uh, uh, her desire is to become uh, a doctor. And uh, this plays out in the story, and uh, at this time in history, there's only one other female doctor in the country. Uh, so there's this push-pull between Alabama and, and uh, uh, a girl from, from the north that uh, uh, obviously sets up the tension. Why did you pick John Pelham as your main character? I think uh, John Pelham is a man for all seasons, uh, for any, uh, uh, any age, uh, his his life, his um, uh, personality, his impact, his impact on his class, his impact on the Civil War, uh, the recognition he received, uh, and this is all true, uh, from uh, Robert E. Lee, uh, Stonewall Jackson, Jeb Stewart, and others, uh, uh, just marked him in a, uh, as an incredible. Uh, human being, and um, there's a poignance to telling uh, this uh, piece of West Point history from, uh, it's really from both sides, north and south, but uh, with the main story character being from the south, uh, there's there's uh, something uh, extra added, and, and tell them uh, possess that something extra. And we want to emphasize this is fiction, but based on history. So you've taken uh, some license to, of uh, since you weren't there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And you know what? What if? Right? Uh, the what if factor that fiction always allows us to uh, the journey in that kind of a road. The the um, uh, surprisingly. Uh, Almost all the story characters are real. Uh, yes, their interactions are fictionalized because I wasn't there, but uh, their relationships to one another, uh, the way they would have acted, this is all based, uh, all of that is based on non-fictional material uh, references that uh, I spent uh, a number of years um, uh, pouring over to uh, create a, a realistic rendering of uh, what might have been. Now, obviously, before the Civil War, there was great debate in the country over whether the, uh, a state had the right to secede, and John Pelham plays an important part in this. He does. He does. He's, uh, and, uh, and this is true, factual, uh, his senior year, he is the president the dialectic society and each year it would uh, that society would conduct a debate and uh, in the story that debate uh, is over the question does a state have the right to secede and he is the moderator for the debate and the two characters uh, both real who represent the opposing sides uh, do a great job of laying out uh, the paradox and uh, one that uh, 
even today, is still not resolved. Um, and it, uh, uh, I think that's, I don't want to give, give away too much here. Sure. Well, that really ties to today because there are a number of states that I've uh, uh, seen in the news that uh, have this kind of movement even today of, of seceding because they don't like the way the country is going. There, uh, you know, we've always been a nation of uh, kind of left and right, conservative and and liberal, and a sprinkling of uh, those in between. That, uh, uh, depending on times and and uh, personalities, you know, get swayed one direction or the other. And that uh, uh, we're we're in that time. Uh, there's a lot going on, and there's there are a lot of issues. Uh, you know, the Civil War was primarily a state's right uh, uh, rights uh, issue and while slavery was a part of that issue it was not it was not the issue it was whether a state had uh, uh, sovereignty uh, had uh, uh, the power to uh, uh, go in directions it believed best for uh, the citizens of that state and that debate continues today amongst uh, many now let's talk about John Pelham's relationship with George Armstrong Custer. This uh, uh, is absolutely accurate. Uh, they were both in the same company. There were four companies, uh, ABCD, and they were both in Delta Company. And uh, Custer was a year behind Pelham. Uh, their, uh, Pelham's senior year... Uh, Custer would have been uh, one year behind. They actually roomed across the hall from each other. And uh, long story short, uh, uh, they were the two best horsemen at the academy, uh, Pelham actually having an edge over Custer. And uh, uh, they both had in their respective classes the honor of having the most demerits in their class. I think we all uh, know that Custer graduated, or most of us do, uh, last in his class. Uh, very interesting. They they had a very close relationship, and uh, during the war, during the war, uh, as they opposed each other, Custer uh, wearing blue, Pelham Gray, uh, Custer actually sent a telegram congratulating uh, his dear friend, um, over his successes, um, just a short telegram, but that was Custer, and, and that was uh, uh, a very real testimony to uh, uh, the friendship of uh, that they had and, and um, still still maintained. You talk about the fire eaters of the South. Now, what were the fire eaters of the South? That was uh, really a, a northern uh, moniker given to secessionists. So it was, the, the, it was, it was just the, the slang, the slang term around. at that moment, huh? the emotional slang term. Yes, yes, and uh, definitely uh, an inflammatory term, <laughs> if not a fiery one. <laughs> so... Now you break your story down into three main parts, uh, once in general uh, identified as the summer encampment, and then there's first semester and second semester. Tell us about these three main parts in general. 
Okay, and and I think it's appropriate to uh, say that the lead-in to each of these parts uh, uh, is a backflash, a backflash from uh, three days before the Battle of Bull Run, the last chapter of the story being the actual battle. So uh, the first chapter, we've got three days before the battle. John Pelham is in a certain place, and things are happening, and, and the Union is making its move on Richmond. Um, and then we flash back in Chapter 2 to Summer Encampment, and we um, uh, encounter an incredible time for cadets. Uh, cadets loved Summer Encampment. It was a time where uh, from June to the end of August, Three nights a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night, there was a hop at the West Point Hotel. And uh, uh, the ladies, the eligible young ladies, uh, uh, would would um, show up in their Victorian uh, gowns and um, uh, their, their mothers hoping to place them with, you know, the most eligible uh, bachelors uh, in the country. And... Uh, uh, very, very much a time of, uh, uh, romance or, uh, fleeting romance and, and, uh, obviously during the day a lot of, uh, military training, but, uh, a good time for the cadets. And then, um, yes, we've got a second day at Bull Run, uh, or before Bull Run, and then we go to the first semester, and then we see history unfolding. Uh, by that I mean the election. Uh, uh, of Lincoln, secession of uh, states, departure of cadets uh, and officers, and uh, ultimately uh, um, the uh, bombardment of uh, Fort Sumter, which occurs during the second semester. And so, uh, yeah, these these three elements are uh, really tied to uh, backlashes. And at the heart of the story is this band of brothers, uh, of course, very close, and then they're uh, as colleagues, peers at West Point. They had to decide which side of Bull Run to make their stand. Absolutely. That must have been, you know, that is so real. That's kind of mind-boggling when you think about that these people that were such great friends and so united all of a sudden were torn of course, that was tearing families apart during that time too, wasn't it? Absolutely, and and while there there are a number of um, uh, stories that do address that, uh, fictional and non-fictional, uh, mine is a story. I think the the only one that truly addresses it uh, uh, in depth uh, with this uh, microcosm cross section of the nation that existed at West Point. These uh, best friends, absolutely. I mean, this class of uh, 1861 is numbers 50. Uh, imagine how close these, these young men uh, uh, became to each other as, as colleagues and friends. And uh, as states uh, seceded, uh, uh, classmates got on the ferry and, and uh, headed across the river and took a train to New York City and then uh, headed south. Well, you've received a great review from General Hal Moore. He is the author of the Vietnam-era book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, which was also made into a blockbuster movie. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Well, tell us, tell us how to get your book. Tell us about your website and uh, how we can get your book, Rich. Okay. it's uh, 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 Well, you can do it on my website, which is uh, www.richardbarlowadams.com. There's an ordering page there, and also through uh, Amazon, uh, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, Borders, um, and uh, would be excited to to know that the listeners uh, might might do that. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Rich. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Have a great day. That was Richard Barlow Adams. He is the author of his book, The Parting, a story of West Point on the eve of the Civil War. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus, NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Virtual Travel, Embrace or Expire. And the author is Barry Schuler, and Barry joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Barry. Hi, Steve. Good to have you with us. I'm going to read a couple of things you've written just to kind of set the stage for our discussion. You say virtual travel, embrace or expire, is about how in the future virtual reality technology will make it possible to travel without leaving your hometown and the profound impact it will have on our lives and on many industries. 
Well, that sounds like science fiction to most, but what we're going to talk about today is not science fiction. It's real technology that w- that you're looking at, and you've had quite a background in technology. Let's go there first, Barry. Tell us about your background. Well, I've had about 40 years in the information technology field and the electronics and communications field. And uh, most recently... I spent 13 years as Chief Technology Officer at Marriott International, and that's kind of where I was involved with doing strategic planning, very long-range strategic planning for what kinds of technology should be in hotels of the future. And so, you know, my technology background and my hospitality background kind of placed me in a position to think about the future of travel and how it might change for the very long term. So that created this motivation to go the extra step and just let's look into the future. Yes. Uh, actually, what happened is I retired from Marriott at the end of 2008, and I had been looking at this kind of technology and the impact it might have for a number of years. Um, but I really wasn't able to write this book. I wrote some articles about it, but I wasn't able to write this book until I actually left Marriott, because some of the things that I, that I believe will happen are going to have some radical effects on the hospitality and travel industry, airlines, rental cars, hotel companies. And right now, no one's really thinking about it. So I really wasn't in a position to, to get that far out in the future, but I had gathered enough information that I felt it was important to write a book about it after I left Marriott. Virtual travel, embrace or expire, you say provides a compelling view of a future where people will be able to travel to any location without physically going. So how, how explain, uh, you know, help us understand what you see. Well, a lot, a lot of folks have probably played around with um, virtual worlds, that you might call them on the Internet, but they're two-dimensional. It's something like... Uh, second life, um, where you can actually take on an alter ego, an avatar, if you will, and you can walk around through an alternative alternative reality on a computer screen. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is actually you would go into a virtual reality studio, and you and with today's technology, it's fairly rudimentary, but you would actually put on a something like a, a rubber suit that you might snorkel in, and a visor. And you would be connected to um, a virtual reality system that would actually immerse you in an alternative world. It would be in three dimensions. You would be walking around, shaking hands, patting people on the back, making eye contact, just as if you were there through this technology. It would stimulate all five senses, uh, you know, smell, sight, hearing, all of those things. Um, just as if you were there. Now, this is going to take probably, to have that kind of experience will take another 20 to 25, maybe 30 years. But today, I mean, in business world today, we have what's known as telepresence, which gives you the visual senses and the auditory senses. It doesn't do the other three senses. And that's available now, and it's almost like being there in a live meeting when you use telepresence. So this is, uh, what you're talking about today is video conferencing? 
Well, it's what I would call video conferencing on steroids. It, it would be, it would be, it's a complete package. It, it's called, Cisco calls it telepresence. Hewlett Packard has a, a service called Halo. Both of them are very similar, but what you do is you, you sit in a specially uh, designed uh, room and you have large flat panel screens across from you with life-size images of the people that you're meeting with, multiple screens. And the audio and the video are such high fidelity and high definition. And the, there, is none of the, there are none of the side effects of typical video conferencing, which might be a delay, the mouth moves, the voice comes two seconds later. None of that there. It's just like being in the same room. Five minutes in a telepresence meeting, and you actually forget that those people are not in the same room with you, to the point where I've seen people get up after the meeting and try to shake hands with the people across the table. <laughs> I mean, that's the early rudimentary virtual travel from a business perspective, but, it, but it's very limited. It's limited to meetings. What I'm talking about for the longer term is it won't be limited to meetings. It will be, it will be you can in, immerse yourself remotely in London, walk the streets of London, go to the sites uh, in London, see the architectural detail, do all of that, just as if you're there and your brain won't know the difference. Well, obviously, everyone would... And seems like would like to do that, but you're saying it's just as if you are there, and that's hard to understand, because if you can do that, then you don't need to be there physically. That is absolutely correct. Did you see the movie Avatar, by yes. any chance? Yes, Well, what, what that movie was about was it was inserting a, a person's uh, consciousness into a humanoid, right. you know, the Pandora Avatar, what I'm talking about is inserting your human consciousness into an electronic avatar, and when you walk around in this electronic world, you don't perceive it to be the electronic world. You perceive it just as if you're there, very much like The Matrix. That's an old movie, but The Matrix was a similar thing. It was a complete world that was all computer-generated, and when you were in it, I mean, you thought it was real. So... That's what we're talking about. But that's part of what the book's about. That's, that's saying what will happen. But, the, but a real message of the book is when it happens, and I believe it will happen, is how radical the effects will be on our daily lives and on businesses, mm-hmm. especially travel businesses. Well, you know, even architecture sure. construction, the way buildings are, are built and designed, the way hotels, you won't need as many sleeping rooms, if any. Those types of things will be radical. Sounds like it will take a great deal as we talk about uh, computer horsepower. Mm-hmm. And you see that coming. Yes. I, I, I think that based on the projections that I've seen from people who know a lot more than I do, and I know a fair amount about computing, but, but there have been projections for a long time, and they're holding true that we will see more horsepower in computing and telecommunications, more increase in the ability to process information in the next 10 years than we've seen since the beginning of the computing age. And when that happens, that won't be the limiting factor. In less than 10 years, we'll have enough computing horsepower to store all of your human brain on a hard drive, on a, on a personal computer. And when you get to the point where you can do that, then it's a matter of to do these virtual worlds and to fool that consciousness that's now loaded onto the computer 
into believing that it has a body and that it's seeing things through its eyes and hearing things through its ears. Um, uh, that will that will be in ten years, and the only limiting factor will be: can we get all of the content into that system to replicate the physical world? Can we can we show all the architectural detail on every building in an electronic way? And then when we get to that point, there's a there's a bridge to cross about: do we continue to build things physically, or do we do we start to build them just electronically? And that may change the entire nature of the way the physical world looks in 30 to 40 years down the road. It may become very homogeneous from a physical perspective, but the virtual worlds are very rich. All of the new architecture might be in the virtual worlds, if you get my drift. You must be a leader in this kind of thought. Uh, is anything else being written or talked about like this? Well, when I when I did my research, I, I wrote some articles on uh, on the telepresence stuff um, back in 2008, and I did some research on it, and nothing was being really written about virtual travel at that point, aside from little video clips where you might, you know, go to a webcast and see a remote location in a very small thumbnail. Um, I did some more research as we wrote the book. The book came out on July 30th this year. We did some more research. And there's really not anything else out there that's looking at this at this kind of level and this far out. Everything is looking at things that are going to happen in the next five years or so, which are going to be incremental steps. Um, I think what I what I'm doing here is 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 plowing some new ground. At least I, I hope that's the case. Well, it sounds extremely fascinating, and at the same time, it seems a bit scary when you think of, like you're saying, a dramatic change. We're talking about uh, an incredible, uh, beyond comprehensive kind of change, perhaps. Yes, I, I, I think so, and everyone should be aware that this is a possibility and start thinking about it, how it might affect them personally and how employers might be affected in terms of their industry and how employees might be infect, affected in their careers. I mean, I can give some examples, some little, some little baby examples of things that have happened in the past, but, the past, but this, is, this is much bigger. But if you think about toll takers on toll roads, I mean, it used to be you would pull up, you'd have to give them money, and then you could go through. But now you have easy pass, you have radio frequency ID, you can go through at 35 miles an hour if you set it up in advance and, and never stop. Well, what happened to those toll takers? What happened to their jobs? What about their livelihood? So if you, if you expand this out and say, when the airlines are taking 20 to 30 to 40 percent less people, They'll be even worse off than they are now. They will they will have to go out of business or change their business model. Hotels. If you build hotels with thousands of sleeping rooms in them and occupancy goes down by as little as five percent, hotels will have a difficult time making profit. And the owners of the real estate will have a difficult time making the mortgage payments on that hotel property. So it's a it's a snowball effect that can happen if the if if these industries don't plan rental cars. If no one's coming in via airlift, no one needs a rental car, and so on and so on. So you can see it 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 will be uh, very different when this starts to take hold, and it doesn't have to do it in a big way. It it could be five to ten percent reduction in travel, and it would 
it will be an incredible negative effect. On the other hand, there's, there's opportunities. There's opportunities to create these virtual travel experiences, and who better to do that than a combination of hotel companies and technology companies? Do you think so everyone will... double-edged sword. Do you think everyone will be able to afford a virtual travel experience? I think that the virtual travel experience will be affordable for everyone, whereas today's physical travel experience is not. So it's going to be, that's going to be actually a positive thing. There are some other benefits to it as well that aren't directly related to just saying, I want to take a leisure trip or a business trip. And that is if you have a disability, for example, you're in a wheelchair, you're on crutches, you aren't disabled when you're in the virtual world, much like the Marine in Avatar, the movie, when he was in his humanoid avatar form, he could run, and he had that exhilaration of being able to walk and run again. And all the people who are disabled will be able to have an experience, not only as they travel, but their normal experience of working will be different because they'll actually be working using the same technology. They won't have to go downtown to their work location. They'll just get into virtual reality, and they'll do their work that way. You also talk about a concept called accelerating returns. Maybe you've already talked about that without mentioning it, but what does that mean again? Well, the law of accelerating returns is just simply that when you take a like compound interest, if you, if you make a small investment of a dollar, but you have compound interest over it over a period of 20 years, it gets to be a very large number, and that's because it's, being, it's exponential. The law of accelerating returns in computing is the same thing. You have a small amount of computing power at the beginning of the computer age, but uh, there are two laws at work. One's called Moore's Law, which says roughly every 18 months, the number of transistors that can be packed onto the same physical computer chip doubles. And when you double the number of transistors each year, you double the computing power. And so that base number keeps getting smaller, and at some point, because of the exponential nature of doubling that base number, we are on a, a very sharp upward trajectory, and we're right on the knee of that curve right now. So that's I, what I mean about accelerating returns, and that's why in the next 10 years, the computing power is just going to go off the charts um, much larger, much faster. So in your mind, it's inevitable. I believe it is, yes. And I don't. I believe that it's going to change things a lot, but I don't believe that this has to be a bad thing. When you look at all of the things that have happened in our history, I mean, when we went from the um, agricultural age to the industrial age, many, many things changed. Lots of things fell off. Other things came new. Uh, I think this will be the same way, but business as usual is not going to be an option 20 years down the line for the travel and the architecture and construction and other types of industries. Barry, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can get it on all of the major channels. You can get it from our, our my publisher, iUniverse. They have their own website, but you can get it on all of the channels like Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. And uh, I, I just hope everybody will buy it, and, and more than that, I hope they'll enjoy it. Well, in the future, we could have done this interview in, like, uh, maybe on the beach in Hawaii or maybe some, uh, <laughs> maybe at the we top of the Alps. Have. If you, you, if you like to ski could've. or something, we could have met somewhere exotic, right? 
<laughs> yes, and we could have done it instantaneously, not having a seven-hour flight there and back. Yeah, that would have been great. All right, Barry. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Incredibly, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Incredibly fascinating, and it sounds like reality. So, Barry Schuler, the author of Virtual Travel, Embrace or Expire. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Dix of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriended is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dream Bigger, Reclaiming a Life of Joy and Ease, and the author, Julie Wise. And Julie joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Julie. Hi there. It's great to be here. Well, the title says it all, and... Often we get sidetracked and forget about our dreams or think, well, we're too busy, too many things, can't do it. Let me read what you have written about your book. You say Dream Bigger is a practical guide to overcoming life's challenges and creating the life of your dreams. It offers inspiring true stories and simple tools to take you from wishing into reality. Well, you're a product of your actual doing, and this is the life you're living. I mean, you're a coach. You help people to accomplish uh, their greatest dreams. And and yet, there are a lot of books out there on this subject. Uh, what makes yours different, Julie? 
Well, I think the one thing that's different about my book is that I really focus on what you do when the dream you had for your life doesn't work out the way you'd planned. And that happens to all of us. It might be the dream relationship. It might be the career that isn't going the direction you want. It could be a lot of different things. And when those moments happen, when the dream falls apart around our feet, we tend to go into despair and disappointment. And those are the moments when we just want to quit. We just want to give up. And... What I say in the book is it's not time to give up. It's time to dream even bigger because there is, in the pieces around your feet, a dream for your life that's bigger and better than anything you could have imagined for yourself. So it's time to open up to that and to start taking steps forward. And that's partly what I cover in the book. And you quote Mark Twain, who said it so well, quote, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the things you did do. So throw off the box. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Wow, that way to go, Mark Twain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. I love that quote. <laughs> yes, that's a great one. And we daydream as a child. So what happens to us, Julie? Where, where, where does it, you know, when does it change? Now, some children manage to maintain that all the way through into adulthood, but most of us don't. Most of us, by the time we're becoming teenagers, we're being conditioned into becoming more practical. We're told, okay, you've got to think about what you're going to do after high school, so what courses you're going to take. And then once we finish university or college, then we're, oh, we've got to find a job. And then once we have a job, then we settle down, we get married, we have families, we have a mortgage, then there's always bills to pay, and it just keeps adding and adding and adding. And now we're living the practical, real life but somewhere inside we know we're not happy and that's where the dreaming needs to come back in because we've set it aside we've chosen to be practical in order to be able to pay the bills and so on but we've never really forgotten the dream somewhere in there there is that dream we've always wanted to pursue and it's never too late well julie you know how what people say about people like you it's easy for you julie you don't know what i'm having to deal with i can't do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it sounds like that, I'm sure. But I've certainly been through an awful lot and learned the hard way. Um, I tried to be practical with my life as well. I chose a profession that was practical, but somehow still related to writing. I became a translator. And I did that for quite a long time, and I was never really happy with it. And then I tried, okay, well, I'll be the editor of a newspaper, because then I'm writing. But what I was doing was writing other people's stories. So for years, I wasn't able to admit to myself that I was a writer until very recently, and then finally allowed myself to dream that dream. Along the way, a lot of other things happened in other parts of my life. My marriage fell apart, I ran out of money, I had to sell my house, there were just I had a lot of serious health issues. So I've been to the bottom and back and through that process I learned a lot. And what I share in the book are some of my own personal experiences and the things I've learned, but also what I've learned in working with other people as a coach. Because I think we all have a lot of common issues that we deal with as life goes on, and out of those common issues we have choices we can make and that's what i try and encourage people to do is to recognize that they have choices and they can choose to take something and move it forward or they can choose to stay stuck and i'm really hoping that as people read the book they choose to move forward a lot of people think that success for a lot of folks just seems to be they're just lucky you know just luck on their Mm -hmm. side and they don't realize the work that has gone into of creating their dream and then capturing their dream. 
Yeah, and I think that's really an important part of the dreaming process is you need to start with a vision, a dream, something that really captivates you in your heart, excites you beyond belief. And then from there, you need to take it the next step because with just the dream isn't enough. It will motivate you, but you need to be able to take steps that create an action plan and then you take your action plan and you take steps out of that that move that forward so that it actually becomes a reality so that you are finally living the life of your dreams you're not just thinking about it or imagining it or wishing for it you're living it so we can be trained we can new we can learn as they say new tricks Oh, definitely. And I think our biggest challenge as adults is unlearning everything we've been conditioned to believe and then learning all over again what we already knew as a child. And as a child, we we believed in what we now see as impossible. But in those days, anything was possible. We had incredible imaginations and we didn't limit ourselves in any way. So it's a question of going back to that feeling and that ability and that capacity, which still exists in all of us, no matter what age we are, reconnecting with that and then allowing that to lead us forward. Well, your book is broken down into three sections. Section one, dream. Section two, dream big. I'll let everyone guess what section three is. (laughs) Dream bigger. (laughs) That's right. And though I see in here, though, there is dream work involved in each in each section. So it is what you're saying. You know, it's it's we do have to have a plan. Exactly. And and the book is is divided into these three sections because I, it's important that people start out with a, a simple dream to learn the basics of how to dream and how to create an action plan. And then you move forward to something that's going to be a bit bigger, a little more complex. And then the final section is more about creating a dream that expands for your community. How can you have an impact on improving your own community, whether that's a broader circle of friends, whether that's the town you live in, or even the global community. I've also included examples from six different people from around the world who started out with what might have seemed like a relatively small dream, perhaps a personal dream, and then it expanded to something beyond their expectations and it had a community or global impact. And when I interviewed them, their stories were so inspiring that I knew I had to have them in the book as well. You call them dream makers in your book. Uh, let's talk about a couple of them. Let's talk about Derek Lucas, Making Dreams Real, it's titled. Mm-hmm. Derek is a, a man from Va- the Vancouver, British Columbia area of Canada. And after he retired, he decided that he wanted to create a program in his area of Canada that he'd seen in another part of Canada once before. And it was a way of offering for free sports equipment and bicycles to children whose families couldn't afford to buy them. And a lot of times, these these families can't even afford to go to used uh, equipment places to purchase them. And so what Derek did is he created this whole organization called Rec for Kids, REC, uh, Recycling Equipment and Cycles is what it stands for. He approached uh, some local organizations, and all of them got behind it. And now they have this organization running that provides for free this equipment because he believes very strongly that all children should have the opportunity to participate in sports. He thinks it gives them a really good stepping stone to their future. It keeps them off the streets and gives them some really good role models to follow. So here's a man who, in his retirement, decided to pursue this dream, which has now had an impact on his community. 
You used an interesting phrase just then, believe very strongly. I guess that's where we have to take an assessment of ourselves. What do we really believe very strongly about? Exactly, and I think that's where the dream fits in. Uh, There's a feeling inside you that goes, yes! Absolute passion and excitement. Now, it might be tied in with some fear as well, and that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's kind of normal because you're stepping a little bit out of your comfort zone when you do this. But it's something that you cannot deny. You can't walk away from it. It's, It's in there. It keeps nudging you at night. It keeps... You know, tickling it at you in the back of your mind during the day. Mm-hmm. And there's always little reminders that keep coming around that say, remember this, we've got to do this, and we have to do it now. Let's talk about Marie Enns, Courage and Faith, another dream maker. Oh, Marie Enns is incredibly inspiring. She's a woman who I believe is 76 now. She lives in Cambodia, and she... Has been, was up until she retired um, a missionary, and she spent most of her time working with Cambodians. She, when she retired at sixty-six, she decided that she didn't want to give this life up. She was no longer working for the mission, but she decided to go back to Cambodia on her own. Her husband died, and she decided to continue as a widow, even though it frightened her to be there on her own. She went back, and in the last 10 years, she has created a community for people whose, um, well, grandparents whose children have died of AIDS and the orphans of the people who have died of AIDS. So she has, I can't remember now how many um, orphanages, homes for the children there, as well as granny houses. She has a um, a couple of homes there for teenagers who become pregnant. She has, they have um, their own vegetable gardens and um, their own um, geese and ducks and so on. And they have a school there for the children as well. And this has all happened in the last 10 years. And it's happened because this was her dream to move it forward. Now, you've set up an online challenge called Dream Bigger Reinvention Challenge. Tell us about that. I'm really excited about this because as I was writing the book and then as I was doing these interviews with these really inspiring people, I realized there are so many more people out there that have incredible dreams that they would like to fulfill or just stories to tell. And so I set up the contest because it'll give people a chance to post a video talking about their dream and about what they would like to see happen and how it would have an impact either on them, their their family, their community. And then they can post this on the contest website. And then other people will go to the site and they will vote And at the end of the contest, it runs from October 1st to November 29th. So at the end of the contest, I will choose the 25 videos that got the most five-star votes. And out of those 25, then I will go through them and I will pick the top five winners. And the grand prize winner gets uh, $3,600 worth of prizes that are designed to help him or her make his dream become a reality. So it includes three months of coaching from me. It includes three months of coaching from Carrie Cudmore, who's a a financial coach. It includes um, coaching from uh, the the publicist that I'm currently working with with the book, as well as social media support. And it also includes a beautiful piece of sterling silver jewelry, um, a butterfly design. The idea is to soar with your dreams. 
And then everybody else is also the top five are getting a copy of my book. So I'm hoping through that that not only are the people who win inspired to move on and pursue and fulfill their dreams, but everybody who enters the contest will be inspired by reading about everybody else's dream. Sometimes we may think we're really happy, we're successful, uh, and every day, week to week, month to month, we're satisfied with our life, but there's just something maybe speaking real softly to us, some maybe a vague desire, as you call it. Uh, mm-hmm. We should really follow that, shouldn't we? We should follow, see where that takes us. Definitely, because life holds limitless opportunities for us and it's up to us to simply make the choice that we want to start to follow those and when we do the world opens up to us life does become easier and there's a lot more joy and as a result we're a lot more fun to be around too and in today's oh times of economic stress in this country and all kinds of uncertainty uh, the news is filled with so much uh, challenging uh, well, sometimes it's even scary. Uh, we, we really need to follow these feelings because who knows, like you say, what kind of impact you could have in a community or a circle of friends, but who knows what kind of an impact you could have uh, on a whole society. Well, exactly. And it all comes from me following my dream, you following your dream, and it will have an impact. It will have a positive impact. And if I, have, if I am following my dream, I'm going to inspire everybody around me to consider following their dreams. And if they all do that, and all of their friends do that, then just imagine the impact that we can have on our community, but also on the world as a whole. Where do we get your book, Julie? Well, it's available at iUniverse, uh, my publisher. It's also available at Amazon.com. And it's available online at uh, Barnes & Noble. And you have a website? I also have a website. Uh, you can go to www.wise1coaching.wordpress.com. So that's the numeral one, wise numeral one coaching. And that will give them inf- people information on the book as well as on the contest. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for being with us. Well, thanks so much, Steve. That was Julie Wise. She is the author of her book, Dream Bigger, Reclaiming a Life of Joy and Ease. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.